You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Grace, we explore the undeserved gifts that God gives us for His glory and our good. Let me pray for us and we will dive right in. Father, we just ask for help, Lord, by Your Spirit, Lord. Lord, I ask help for You for speaking your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work through me. And Lord, I know that if your word goes out, that the spirit that dwells in each one of us, um, you will use that to change us into the image of your son. And we know that that is your will for us. And Father, Lord, I just ask today that that you would help us to understand your grace just a little bit more so that we may walk in it. So I know when we walk in grace, we have great joy. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at basically two verses. But again, we have been walking through this series on grace, and, and again, I've been talking about this idea of faith in Future Grace, which was a book by um, John Piper that, again, I will use as reference uh, quite often as we walk through this. So what is this faith in Future Grace? And, and we just have it mapped out as faith meaning receiving Christ as the supremely valuable treasure that He is, because that's what He is. And being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Him. And that second part of it is really what we're going to dive into today. Being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Him. Now we know that all the grace that we're about to experience is all future oriented. Because the only life we have to live is future Oriented, and, and we've defined grace this way, that, that grace is, has two sides of a coin. One side of it is unmerited favor, and the other side of the coin is the power to do what we cannot do on our own. So this idea of faith in future grace is the idea that what we have in, our, in the Word of God are hundreds and hundreds of promises that, that make their yes in Jesus, so we need to grab a hold of some of those promises, hide them into our heart, right? That way, whenever we walk into the next situation of life, we're believing in His Word and His grace will meet us there. Therefore, we're not walking by our own strength. We're walking in His grace by His Word. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Carr was here last week, uh, we looked at how faith and future grace helps us battle our anxiety, Right, this pretty anxious time with all the different things that are happening in, in the world today and, and just our lives in general. So we kind of looked at how, how anxiety works and, and we looked at two passages and kind of butted them up and they'll be up on the screen for you. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today it's its own trouble. The lamentation says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So what we said two weeks ago, and I'll reiterate today, is anxiety comes to us 
whenever we are worrying about the trouble tomorrow without the mercy of tomorrow. This is what these two passages says. That today when you woke up, God designed a, a, an ounce or a, a dose of trouble in your life. That trouble is meant, obviously, for your good to continue to sanctify you and work in you so that you trust and trust in him more, right? So that trouble is, we all have a, a, a measure of trouble for us today. Tomorrow, we're going to have another measure of trouble. But what the promise of God says in his steadfast love that also when we got up today, there is a measure of mercy that will cover the measure of trouble. And when we get in trouble, right, whenever we start being anxious, what happens is we start worrying about tomorrow's troubles without tomorrow's mercies. Then our heart gets anxious, right? So what we said two weeks ago was in order to sever the root of the sin of anxiety, because being anxious, I mean, in that passage, in that Matthew passage, Jesus says, do not be anxious, and that's a command. Now, I know that we get anxious, <laughs> And I know that there's good anxious anxiety, right? There's, there's when, when something pops up and we need the adrenaline to run from something or to get out of harm's way or we want to feel that anxiety, anxiousness, that's a good thing, right? Whenever we sin, that's a good anxious anxiety because we have sinned against a holy God. So in order to sever the root of the sin of anxiety, we must believe that I am only getting help for today. And when the anxious thought about tomorrow comes to mind, we kill it with a promise from God. And it was neat how to hear back from many of the community groups. One of the questions within the community group was, can some people talk about some things they got coming up and maybe the group can help them find some promises from God to hold on to so that they're not anxious about whatever's coming down the pike, that they can trust in his word and believe that when he get, whenever they get there, his grace will be there and it will be sufficient for that time. It was neat to hear the different stories about that. How have you done with that over the last two weeks? See, these promises that are all through the Bible is God's future grace for us. It will be waiting for you when you arrive at tomorrow's moment that you're being anxious about today. It'll be there. How do we know and how are we positive that it's going to be there for us? Because all the grace that he's given us in the past, this big reservoir of grace that we have, that has flowed over top of us and is now behind us. We can look back at all of that grace and say, yeah, I can trust in the grace tomorrow because I know of all the grace that he's given me over the last year, 10 years, 20 years, however you've been walking with the Lord. So what I want to look at today is this, is what prevents us from looking to God in those moments? What keeps us from trusting in, believing in those promises? Well, basically, it has happened in the garden. It's, simply put, it, it's our pride. That's what keeps us from trusting in God. Our simple belief, as Nate alluded to, that we are self-sufficient. We don't need anybody, right? 
I think that um, when I was working through this, I was struggling, like, because there's so many different things that I could, I could have touched on and pulled out of the book and talked about. And, and it's just like, I just kept on asking God, what do you want me to talk about? What part, what, where do you want me to go? And it just seems like that today's Christian would say, we kind of typically say something like this. If I have Google and a couple podcasts, I'm good to go for a Christian. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a, a body of believers I just need Google and a couple good podcasts. And that goes flat against everything that the Word of God says. And that attitude is self-sufficiency. That I can just do it on my own. Well, you can't. And that's not Joe saying that. In fact, that's probably Joe saying that you can't because he's experienced it and lived it and have looked at the Word of God and he says that we can't either. We need Him. See, it's only a humble person that will trust in another to supply the need for today or the need for tomorrow. You're not doing that if you're full of pride, if you're full of boasting. You will not rely on somebody else, even if that somebody is God. Right? Even if that somebody is God. This trust that we're talking about is future Oriented, believing his grace will be there. Peter shows us actually in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Let me read this. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So simply put, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on him, giving them to him. Verse 7, whenever you look at this, is not a new sentence. It is a subordinate clause. It could read like this. Humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties on him. Do you see how that works? How are you going to fight pride? How are you going to fight your self-sufficiency? By casting, by saying, Lord, I... I don't know, I got all these things that's happening tomorrow, but I'm going to trust you in them. I'm going to find a word from God and trust you in those. That's what it means to be humble. This means that casting your anxieties on God is a way of humbling yourself under God's rule and reign. And we know that being humble and being prideful <laughs> cannot share the same space. They cannot share the same space. So that means that one hindrance to casting your anxieties on God is your pride, your self-sufficiency. Pride is actually a form of unbelief, and the way we can battle this unbelief is by faith in future grace. Trusting God and being arrogant are opposites, and faith and pride are are opposites. They're opposites. You can't have pride and say that you have faith. They're opposites. Because, well, I mean, I guess you can, but your faith is definitely where? In yourself. Right? It's definitely in yourself. So, be able to see this better, we need to, to remind ourselves what faith is. Again, our definition that we've been using over the several weeks is receiving Christ as the supremely valuable treasure that he is and being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in him. 
all that God promises to be for us in him. Being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. That satisfaction. It's just not for our salvation. It's for every part of our life. Every single part of our life. What does that look like? Well, Jesus kind of paints a picture. What does it mean to be satisfied in him? He kind of paints a picture. Is it just thinking? Okay, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Or it, He kind of goes a little bit deeper and kind of, it kind of, kind of gets creepy a little bit. John 6, 35 says, As Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Do you see this satisfaction, how he's painting this picture? Right? We, we all need food and we all need water. We know what it is to be hungry. We know what it is to desire. And what he is saying that he will fulfill those desires. He's taking some basic needs and using them as a metaphor to show us that he will supply all our needs. He will be our satisfaction. He is our satisfaction. The text points to the fact that believing and trusting in Jesus is a feeding and drinking from all that Jesus is. Who he is, what he has done, everything about him. Again, don't ever forget, Jesus is God. The the thirst of our souls is satisfied with Jesus so that we don't thirst anymore. That's what he's saying. He's saying you're hungry, you're thirsty, You're looking for these different things to satisfy. You're looking to yourself to satisfy. No, it's not going to. You're going to remain hungry. You're going to remain thirsty. It's Jesus. He is how you are to be satisfied. When we trust Jesus as John intends us to, the presence and promise of Jesus is so satisfying that we are not dominated by the alluring pleasures of sin. So he's setting up a contrast here. What do we usually run, run after? What are we usually trying to find satisfaction in? Many of the things that our Bible warns us that are sin, right? We chase after those things. In fact, Romans six fourteen says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under his grace. Under his grace. John 4, 14 points us to the same, in the same direction. It says this, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, remember this is the story of the woman at the well, where he's, Jesus tells her all her sins and then says, Why didn't you ask me for a drink? And she's trying to think, Well, how, how in the world are you going to get down there and get that water? And he's saying, No, I have water that you have no idea about. And he goes on to say, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We can bring one more passage in to finish the picture, and that's John 7, 37 through 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, through faith, Christ becomes in us an inexhaustible fountain of satisfying life. And it lasts forever. 
And in fact, it leads to eternal life. Faith is not merely an agreement with facts in the head. It is also an appetite for God in the heart, which fastens on Jesus for satisfaction. He is our satisfaction. Jesus uses this, the same type of illustration in John 6.51 in one of the I Am statements. He says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. See, the point of these images of drinking and eating is to make clear the essence of faith. It is more than believing that there is such a thing as water and food. Right? It's more than just saying, okay, there's water and food. And it is more than believing that Jesus is life-giving water and food. Faith is coming to Jesus and drinking and eating the food so that we find our hearts satisfied in him. So that we find our hearts satisfied in him. And what happens is unbelief is a turning away from God and his son in order to seek satisfaction in other things. This is our pride raising up. This goes back to the garden, right? They had everything. They had absolutely everything they needed. And then Satan tempted them, and they just needed more. They wanted to be in control. Pride is turning away from God specifically to take satisfaction in self. Just let me give you a few more examples of how this turning away from God works. Covetousness is turning away from God usually to find satisfaction in things. Lust is a turning away from God to find satisfaction in sex. Bitterness is a turning away from God to find satisfaction in revenge. Impatience is a turning away from God to find satisfaction in your own uninterrupted plan of action. At the heart of all these examples is self-determination and self-exaltation and a presumption of autonomy and independence, which is the essence of pride. Can we start seeing now how faith and pride are two opposites? If we're putting our faith in Jesus to be our satisfaction, that means that we're turning away from all these things and turning to Jesus. And we're just not believing these things are true about it. We're actually stepping in as, as the metaphor is being used. We're actually drinking and eating what he has for us. Do we see that the opposite? They cannot exist in the same area. When we turn from God, we presume that one knows better than God. In other words, when Joe decides to find his satisfaction in something else other than Jesus, what I am saying to God in that moment is, I know better for Joe than God, the one that made me, better than he knows for me. Better than he knows for me. Again, this is exactly what happened in the garden. So to flush this out a little bit more and see how pride works just a little bit more, I want to look at Jeremiah. It gives us three categories to think about in Jeremiah 9.23. 
Jeremiah 9.23 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. So there's three phrases here. He's talking about boasting. That's, that's pride. That's your right, self-exaltation on display. Three phrases God names us, uh, God gives us, right, for us as great competitors uh, for the boast of the human heart. It's wisdom, might, and riches. Wisdom, might, and riches. So you're like, okay, Joe, how, how am I going to, if, if you're telling me that, that pride, my pride, my self-sufficiency is getting in the way of my faith, how might I diagnose some of the places that I'm, I'm falling into this pridefulness of my heart? Well, here's three. Wisdom, might, and riches. Each one lures us away from trusting God as a superior satisfaction. It is incredible humbling to confess that the source of all our joy resides outside of ourselves. Right? That's, that's hard. Especially whenever everything around us says, if you want to be happy, look inside your heart. It's in there. No, it's not. It's out here. It's found in God. It's found in Him. So what about the first one, Wisdom. Well, the Apostle Paul warns us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's for 1 Corinthians 8.1. This is, does not mean that he prefers ignorance, right? It's not means that he doesn't want you to, to know the Word of God and, and to be smart. I mean, he even calls the same church in 1 Corinthians 14 to be mature in their thinking, right? And Ephesians 4 says that the... the, the the actually purpose of the church, the purpose of the, the elders and the teachers is to mature you so you're not being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. That's the purpose. Piper says this, God gave us minds not only to know, but to know how we ought to know. We know the way we ought to know when we boast in the source of all knowing, not in our fragile little chip with its tiny God-designed circuitry. In other words, we're, we're going to boast in God's wisdom. We're not going to boast in our wisdom. When we boast in our wisdom, we show that we have turned from God to trust in ourselves. We show that our satisfaction is not in God's infinite wisdom. We're not believing the promise of God to use his infinite wisdom to keep on managing the universe. Uh, he's got this. <laughs> he's in control. He is sovereign. He's working everything out the way he designed it and wants it to be worked out. We are saying, I will trust and boast in Joe over the one who has predetermined every tiny detail in the universe. Every tiny detail in the universe, he's, he's in charge of. I was trying to look for some examples just to try to expand our, our hearts in this, just to to know that whatever problem you might be facing to later on today or tomorrow, that you can find a promise in God's word to help you get through that. But not only that, to know that you are trusting in the one that has everything under his control. In Proverbs 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And some translation says die. So it's almost like God's taking the most random thing, the roll of a dice, which is casting lots, kind of the same idea. Even that, the Lord controls. Right? 
It's God using the most random thing he could think of to say, it's not random, folks. It's not random. Spurgeon gave a great illustration. He's like, he's talking about whenever the sun shines through the window in our houses and we look across and we see all those things floating around in the air. He called them dust motes, I think is, is how Spurgeon put it. But this is what he said. He said that every one of those particles is keeping its position and moving through the air by God's appointment. That's a big God. That's a big God. So just, I mean, whenever you stop and think about that, it's almost like, man, I'm going to boast in my own wisdom. Kind of makes us feel real small right about now. Will you boast in your wisdom or in God's wisdom? Will you believe that tomorrow God will give you the grace you need in the form of his wisdom? Have you asked for his wisdom? It's all through the Bible. We are to ask for his wisdom. So that's wisdom. What about might? Similarly, we are prone to boast in our might. We, when we are blessed by God, we leap to take the credit for the gift. As if there were more satisfaction in bragging about our resources than in benefiting from God's. Like, I did that. I accomplished that. Look what I did. Deuteronomy 8 it's a little bit of a long passage, but I think you're going to pick up the rhythm of it. 8, 11 through 17 says this. Again, I, w- I want to bring the scripture to you so you can see that I'm just not pulling this out of Joe's mind that I'm showing you from the word of God. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 17. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that the might humble that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware. Beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Beware. See, God cares so much for us He cares so much for us that he gives us the warning not to boast in our own might. This warning is important because God will not share his glory. He just won't do it. He will not share his glory. In other words, you either humble yourself before him or he will humble you. Or he will humble you. Many of us remember King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He was, he was brought low for his proud boast. In Daniel 4.30, he says this, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. He stood up on the wall and he was looking over his kingdom and said, Look what I built. 
what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. For that pride, God humbled him and made him eat grass like an ox in an open field. I don't want us to be doing that. I don't want us to be so prideful that God has to do that to get our attention. See, the antidote to Nebuchadnezzar's pride was not merely a new knowledge in head, but a new exaltation in the heart. His praise showed an awakening of faith and a satisfaction that God will do as he pleases in the sovereign freedom of his justice and grace. We read in Daniel 4.37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. His attitude's changed a little bit, has it not? For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Alongside wisdom and might, perhaps the greatest tempter to pride is money. Jeremiah calls them riches, right? Why? Because many times our riches can purchase power and intelligence. Maybe not for ourselves, but we can purchase the intelligence we need to get what we want. Wealth becomes a great symbol of self-sufficiency. Paul gets to the heart of it when he asks the Corinthians, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything that we have, brother and sister, everything that we own is all of God. He's the one that gave it to us. We are to steward it. Again, everything we have, we have received from God. Everything we will receive from his, is due to the grace that he lavishes on us. Look with me again in Psalm 33, how he makes a compare and contrast. This is some of what I read this morning. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue, saying that... Okay, your mighty armies are not going to rescue you. God is in charge. Verse 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Verse 19, That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy Name. This trust that looks away from our own resources and rests in God is what it means by faith in future grace. We're looking to His grace. This is the remedy for our pride. This is the remedy for our pride. Beloved, what are you boasting in today? What are you boasting in today? Your wisdom, your might. Your riches? It's amazing how God lays this out. Do not boast in these three things. But he doesn't leave us hanging. And that's where I'm going to close us. So if we look at verse 24, look what he tells us. Jeremiah 9, 24 says this, But let him who boasts Boast in this. So now he's going to tell you. You want to boast in something? Here's what you boast in. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. 
For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. See, Jesus is supremely valuable treasure, and where can we find and where we can find our satisfaction? What does he say that we should boast in? That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in earth. We know God because of Jesus. This is how he becomes the, the satisfaction, and all the promises in him become yes. We know God because of Jesus. 1 John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. So boast in that. Boast that you know God. You know God because of Jesus. His steadfast love came to us through the cross. Through the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And on that same cross, we see his justice. In 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He paid the penalty that we have to pay because we've sinned against God. This is what we are to boast in. We're not to boast in ourselves. We are to boast in Christ. He is our ultimate satisfaction. He has fulfilled these things in verse 24. The question left today is, will you turn today from trusting in your wisdom, from trusting in your might and in your riches and trust in Jesus as your ultimate satisfaction? Will you do that today? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I just pray that today that maybe we have seen some ways that that we boast in ourselves. And Lord, that we, we need to turn from that and boast in knowing you and what you have done. And in trusting your promises. And turning and, and making you the ultimate satisfaction in our heart. We do this by tasting and eating. Lord, help us today. Help us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord, all they've ever done in their life is trusted themselves. Lord, I pray that, that your spirit has worked in their heart And I pray for them that they would turn from trusting in themselves and trust fully in you. And for those of us who have walked with you for a while and have stumbled and 
Maybe there's folks here today that are, are facing some pretty rough stuff in the next days or weeks. Lord, I pray that they would find a promise from your word and believe in that and that they would trust that when that day comes, your mercy will be there. Your grace will be there for that day. And in trusting in that and in believing in that, that is exactly the picture of drinking and eating and being satisfied in Jesus. Lord, we just need your help. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.